Uh, so this is the, the first Sunday where we're using a new sound system, um, which we're very nervous to even point that out because things might surprise us, shall we say. Um, but uh, up until this point, we've been using, uh, the, the, which they're missing now, but they were these tall pillars with, um, uh, not pillars, tripods with speakers on top. We used those back when we were in a community center. We've used them outside several times. And so now that portable system, uh, well, it's, it's going into storage now for when Restoration's ready to send out our own church plant, I guess. Um, and so we're, we're really happy to have this, uh, this tiny, tiny, but mighty speaker. Um, it's kind of amazing that it actually fills the room. Um, so yeah, we're just excited about that. So Restoration, we are a church that was sent out in 2017 from Church of the Cross, Anglican, which is out in Hopkins. Uh, My wife and I, along with 10 or so other families from that church, were sent out uh, to begin Restoration, and it's been quite an adventure ever since. The name of the church, as I've said several times, and I think you probably already know, is Restoration. Embedded in the word Restoration is a story. It implies that there once was something that was well-esteemed, that it was loved, that it received purpose and honor, but for whatever reason, that that thing or that person fell into disarray, Uh, was broken, perhaps, or maybe it's something that was lost, and in some sort of way, it was reclaimed. The broken shards were picked back up and carefully put back together. And sometimes in that act of restoration, it's brought to a place of even greater glory than it was before, because now there's a story to it. It's got character to it. You look at it and you think, this could be my story as well. So this is the work of Jesus Christ. He is the one who restores men and women and children back to himself. He is the God of reconciliation, the God of hope, the God of restoration. So if you're here today and you're thinking, uh, I don't know about this church, I don't know about this whole Anglicanism thing, know that we want to know your story. And we want to see how your story is being woven into the goodness and the beauty of our Father in Heaven's story and what sort of purpose can be discovered in that. So here at Restoration and and other Anglican churches and other sacramental churches as well, we participate in something annually called the church calendar. Uh, I love the church calendar. Um, Some of you might think I talk too much about the church calendar, but I love that that this ancient way, or I love this ancient way of forming us into the life of Christ. It's a way in which we sort of react, or uh, uh, reimagine, not reimagine, but sort of participate in the life of Christ. And I think that this can be a tremendous tool for discipleship, that is a tremendous tool for forming our lives as followers of Jesus. Uh, to know right now, we are on the season of Epiphany. Uh, this is a season after, after Christmas, after the wise men come and adore Christ. And during this time, we celebrate that the light of Christ, that is the, the clarity of his truth and the warmth of his presence, shines forth and spreads across all the world. All of the nations have access to Jesus Christ. Today is Mission Sunday. So it's kind of the second to last Sunday of the season of, of Epiphany uh, when we particularly pay special attention to these themes. Next week is going to be Transfiguration Sunday when Jesus ascends up to the holy mountain and and the radiance of his glory kind of overwhelms the disciples. And we'll talk more about that next week. Please do come for that. And then afterwards, we will descend from that mountain 
with Jesus and his disciples into the season of Lent. And Lent is a spiritual pilgrimage towards the cross. So we walk alongside Jesus towards Jerusalem and his cross. Now we'll have more to say about that in the upcoming weeks. So we're going to be looking today, uh, in light of it being Mission Sunday, we're going to be looking at our passage from the gospel, uh, from that passage in Matthew. So please do turn there either in your Bibles uh, or in your bulletin. And there's sort of two different levels of reading this story. You've got Jesus, the, the primary actor in this, and Jesus is the one who, who is the centerpiece of mission, but then also he, he authorizes his apostles to also carry out the same exact things that he himself had been doing. So it's kind of those two levels of reading this. And, and for us, there's these historical realities that we're going to be looking at, but then there's also theological lessons, theological significance that we can glean from this as well. So I'd like to move through this with kind of three different themes in mind. I want to talk about the, the message of God's mission. I want to talk about the heart of God's mission. And I want to talk about the people of God's mission. And my hope that is in all of this, you will see that Jesus Christ loves sinners. He loves people like me and people like you. He loves all of us, and he wants to bring all of us into the saving embrace of himself. So, let's dive into the message of mission. It's probably important for us to all be on the same page in terms of what mission actually is. This passage begins in verse 35 uh, with Jesus going through all the cities and villages. He's teaching in the synagogues. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's healing every disease and affliction. And then later in chapter 10, he empowers the apostles to go out and do likewise. So what does this tell us about the mission, the content of the mission? Well, it's a mission of teaching. He's teaching the word of God. The movement of Jesus is a Bible movement. What they would have been doing, what Jesus and the apostles would have been doing, is opening up the Hebrew Bible to people, pointing out the intent of the author, pointing out the situation of the original audience, uh, defining terms that need to be defined. They would have been mining the ancient texts for ancient wisdom. But also, the mission is a preaching mission. We don't just believe that studying the scriptures is a cultural, historical, intellectual exercise. No, the Bible is alive and it speaks to us. And so that's what they would be doing is they would be applying the scriptures to their daily lives. That it has significance to the here and now. But also this is a mission of healing. That this is a a mission of the Holy Spirit. That he is alive and he moves among us and he heals us in mind, body, and spirit. That we are broken vessels and a part of the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom is, is that he also wants to restore us and bring health to us. And these miracles would have been verifying the truth of what Jesus says. Now this mission, this content of, of, of the mission, the message of the mission, is both complex and simple. It's complex because Sin is complex, and and human beings are complex, and all of us are broken in so many different ways because of the curse of sin. Our bodies are broken. Our minds and our imaginations are warped. We're crushed in our spirits, and so that's why when we read passages like this, we see mission unfolding in so many different ways. But in another sense, the message of mission is quite simple. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
and Jesus is the embodiment of the kingdom. Another way that we could say this is Jesus is at hand. Jesus is near. And when the church is preaching truly uh, uh, the gospel, it's a, it's, a, it's a proclamation that Jesus is near, that he loves us in the midst of our brokenness, and he seeks to heal us, to forgive us our sins, and to bring us into the fellowship of, of his church and his Father. So now let us look at the heart of mission, because the heart of mission is actually the heart of Jesus. As you read this, do you see the love of Christ shining forth through it? We see this in several different ways. First of all, in verse 35, Jesus sees the crowd. And I don't think we should rush past that. You know, here in American society, we're, we're oftentimes compartmentalized, we're segmented, we, we shield ourselves away from so much of the pain of this world, don't we? But Jesus is close to the crowds. He sees them. He, he's not put off by the brokenness or the stench or whatever, the, the fighting that's happening. He leans into it. He wants to hear the pain and the sorrow that's going on in people's lives. He doesn't avoid them. He doesn't avert his eyes. He doesn't pass by on the other side of the road. He doesn't hide away in a castle or a palace or something like that. No, he is with the people. He is among the people. This is the good shepherd who smells like his sheep. <laughs> he sees them. He's with them. He allows those who are suffering to draw his attention, and he doesn't turn his eyes away. But secondly, Jesus has compassion for them. His heart goes out to them. That word for compassion in the original Greek, it, it means that they're stirred to the depths of their bowels. It's like his guts were moved. Have you ever felt that way out of compassion for someone? Jesus was moved to the core of his being with compassion for these people because they're helpless. They're harassed. We don't know what that harassment looked like. Maybe it was political harassment. Maybe it was spiritual harassment. It's probably both, other kinds of harassment. But his heart goes out to them because he knows that they're helpless, that apart from him, there's no hope. He is the only hope for healing and restoration in our lives. Now, thirdly, Jesus does something else. He shares his ministry with others. He sends the apostles out. He says, go, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Do you see his love? He's, it, it, the incarnation of the Son of God is limited to one human being, and so he sends out others to go, to, to multiply his ministry. He says, go, therefore, go to the lost sheep, he not only sees them and has compassion for them, but he decides to do something about it. And so the divine Christ, God in the flesh, empowers others to go and carry out his ministry. He authorizes them. Do you see the heart of Christ in this? Do you see that he, he sees the hurting? He, his heart goes out to them and he decides to do something about it. This is the heart of mission. So thirdly, let's talk about the people of mission. So Jesus calls the 12, and he authorizes them. And notice that each one of them are named here. And for some of them, there's, there's something kind of tagged on to the name. It's, it's either what family they come from or what their previous occupation was. In other words, these are people who's not just on a roster, but they're known to the community. Their stories are known. They're, 
Their families of origin are known, and, and they're loved, and they're commissioned, and they're sent out. You might be reading this, and you see all these names, and this is a, a common question that we, that we hear these days is, that's a lot of men. Where, where are the women in this? And I think that's a fair question. Let me remind you that when these apostles were crippled with fear after the death of Jesus, and they were hiding in a room because they were afraid uh, that maybe they were next, what does Jesus do? Well, the risen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appears to the women. Those are the first ones who beheld the risen Christ. He speaks to Mary. He, he, <laughs> she's the first one to realize that he's risen from the dead. And then he sends her. He sends her to the apostles She's told to proclaim the good news of the resurrection to the apostles. I'm also reminded of uh, Jesus ministering to the woman at the well and how after she encountered Christ, she's sent to her village to share the good news there as well. So women, you are partners in ministry. In fact, I would say that you are critical in ministry. Men and women reveal the image of God to the world. So let's talk about this group in Matthew 10. This is an interesting group, and we don't have time to dive into all the, the facets of, of these identities here. But we have Matthew, who's a former tax collector. Uh, that was probably the most despised thing that a Jew could do in those days. So he betrayed his family, his, his uh, friends, his neighbors, to go and work for the Jews and extract money from people on behalf of the Jews. He, he gathered the tax. He, he pressed his own people down. And so you would despise someone like Matthew. And then you had someone on the complete opposite end of the political spectrum. You have Simon, the zealot. The zealots, they sought to overthrow the Romans through acts of violence. They were training themselves for battle, uh, for when the Messiah would come. They expected to be recruited into those fights, uh, those battles against the Romans and, and other enemies of Israel. And then you have the fishermen there, right? You have people uh, there who, of course, they had political and theological thoughts, but it's not like people in the community would go to the fishermen and ask their opinion of how to interpret Torah or, you know, whatever. But yet, here they are as well. My point is that the people who Jesus calls are an eclectic, interesting, conflicted, diverse group of people. They come from different backgrounds. They have different stories, but they are unified in their mission. Jesus Christ changes them. He restores them. They are unified in their mission. And as a group, they, they travel together, they serve together, they learn together, they return together. In other words, they engage in their mission together. So the people of mission are both eclectic and unified. So we've talked about the message of mission, the heart of mission, the people of mission. What can we glean from this? Well, first of all, if, if you're not familiar to the world of the Bible, if Jesus is new to you, if church life is new to you, I, I hope you see the heart of Christ in this. And I hope you feel him tugging you into his family, that he sees you, that he has compassion for you, that he knows you, and he has a, a group to call you into, a family to bring you into. That could be restoration. That could be here. 
We're all broken people. Um, I, I hope you don't get the impression just because I've got fancy clothes on that I somehow have my entire life put together. That's not the case. <laughs> all of us are um, broken and seeking to be healed by Jesus Christ. And we would love to hear your story as well and see how our stories might be weaving together and how we might be formed together more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so today, if, that's, if you have something that's weighing heavily upon you, we have prayer ministers that are available after communion. You can go in the corner and they'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to meet with someone on staff, that's great. We would love to do that or chat after the service. Please, reach out. Introduce yourself. You can be known here. So earlier I said that this passage speaks to both the mission of Jesus and the mission of the apostles. But there's a third layer to this as well. This speaks to the mission of the church. You see, whenever you're reading the Bible and you see the mention of 12, that is a moment of church craft. And I think sometimes as individualistic Americans, we, we don't necessarily think in this sort of way, or um, a lot of us might be coming from church traditions that really didn't discuss much of that. But this is a church craft moment. Jesus gives authority and instructions to the 12 apostles. That is giving an echo to the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is creating a new institution to carry forth his good news in his kingdom. That is the church. And so he authorizes them. He empowers them. And it might be strange that in this moment he's limiting that to just the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But that is a strategic part of his mission. We can talk more about that at another time. And in fact, we could also turn to Matthew chapter 28, when again, here the risen Christ encounters the apostles. And here he gives them a charge. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so go therefore and make disciples of all nations, not just Israel, and baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This is a sacramental ministry, a ministry where the forgiveness of sins happens, where we're cleansed and made whole and, and brought into the family of God. And Jesus says, and teach them to obey all that I have commanded them, commanded you. That is, be righteous, be holy as I am holy, is what Jesus is saying. He wants us to experience his wholeness and his beauty and his goodness. And then Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. That is, in the sending, Jesus is present with them. In their equipping, in their, uh, uh, yeah, in their equipping, in their sending, Jesus is with them. You see, the message of Jesus is a message of hope, a message of healing, a message of reconciliation. And here we see in Matthew 28 that it goes global. It's infinitely bigger now. I think a lot of times American individualism uh, causes us to read stories like this and we think that, that it's purely on our own soul shoulders to carry out the mission of God. And yes, we all have a responsibility. If Christ has changed you, then you have a responsibility to bear witness to that change. But he never, he never sends us alone. You're always sent with someone, with a group, with a family, with a church. You were always sent with the church. This is why we plant churches. This is why I opened up in the way that I did. 
Because the church, planting churches, is a movement of mission. It is an offensive movement against the princes and the powers and principalities of this world. Jesus says to Peter and the rest of the apostles, after Peter confesses who Jesus is, the Son of God, Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail it. That is the church is on the offensive. I had a spiritual father who would say, therefore go and buy some steel-toed boots because we're going to go kick in the gates of hell. (laughs) How rattling is that? You see, we are not building castles here or palaces to go and hide in. These are outposts of the gospel. And at the end of every liturgical service, we we are sent out into the world to love in peace, to love and serve the world. It is a mission of love and of service, of proclaiming the goodness of the gospel. The church is on the move because the harvest is plentiful. The lost and broken Well, one, it's us, (laughs) but this world, just look around, just scan through the headlines. There's been so much violence in our cities these last couple of weeks. It is a lost and broken world. So may we, the church, be transformed ourselves by the gospel, that Jesus Christ is near, that he forgives sins, that we can enter into his presence through the waters of baptism and be received by him. And at the table, we receive the assurance that Christ is here. He has multiplied his presence among us. He is here with us, nourishing us, nourishing our souls, bringing health and healing to us. And we get to behold his beauty. We get to be gathered here today as brothers and sisters and behold his beautiful presence together, to dwell in the glory of his word to hear him through his prayers, to be receiving gifts of peace and the assurance of forgiveness. What greater mission could we be a part of? What greater family could we be a part of? Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for coming and being among us, for not leaving us alone, But Lord, you see the crowds, you see our brokenness, you see how harassed and helpless we are. And Lord, in the midst of us, you've given us a home. You've instituted the church. You've given us a place where we can find family with one another and find healing and hope and be reminded that there will be a day in which you make all things new. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for making a way for this. Lord, I pray that this upcoming week, as we encounter others who need to hear this good news, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with boldness, that we might proclaim that you are near and that you love us. Thank you, Lord. Guide us now as we go about the rest of our worship. It's in in your name that we pray. Amen.